We are in the book of Hebrews. Now, a few years ago, I was actually looking at like 2015, we went through a series in the book of Hebrews in the evening service, and I thought, you know, I'd revisit that, and last week we were in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, and I thought, well, you know, God keeps putting me back in this book, and I love this letter that was written to the Hebrews, found in your New Testament, and uh, because it's about Jesus Christ. And, and I thought, you know, for many years now, I've said I'd really like to go through a series in the morning service uh, and look into depth this often kind of neglected or misunderstood letter of the New Testament and uh, look at really the, the presentation, as the author puts it here, of the Christ who is better. He's better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the Old, Test- Old Testament sacrifices. He's, he's better in every single way, and he is our superior Savior. And that's how the book of Hebrews opens up, and we're going to, in the months to come, however long that'll take, we're going to look at uh, this book, and we're going to look at some of the, um, really, verses as we go through this, hopefully, pretty much expositionally, in other words, verse by verse, and precept upon precept, and I trust that it will be a blessing to you. It is a blessing to me, if no one else, because I have to study this stuff out before I come to church. At least I should, right? wouldn't be very uh, much to give you if I didn't. And as I do so, the Lord just continues to impress upon my heart our superior Savior, who He is and what He's like, and a longing for Him in that. You find in this book... The word better is used over and over and over again. And that's something that we'll uh, look at when we come to those verses and looking at at that which is better. And let's read, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. We may get a little further than that today. We may not. I'm not sure. I don't like to, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing I don't need to rush through everything. And I'm trying to slow down a little bit and... Sometimes that's easier to digest, and maybe it's just because this brain isn't as, you know, like, I don't know, it's not in high motion anymore. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But it's good sometimes just to slow down and and to think on some things, take some things home with us. Hebrews chapter 1, and in verse 1, begins this way. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Lord, we open up your word again and we begin this study in a wonderful portion of scripture. Thank you for the Bible and for giving it to us and the various ways it came to us, but yet, Lord, all from you, God breathed. And Lord, as we look at this this morning, I pray you would open it to us and teach us and May your words seep deeply in our lives. And, O oh Lord, may it change us. May it wa- make us long more for our Savior. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you want an outline, and by the way, this isn't an outline original with me. Actually, this is uh, the outline that Adrian Rogers had. I listened to his series a long time ago on this, and and I found his skeleton outlines to these messages. And I, so I'm going to probably use a lot of his, maybe not. Sometimes I change it up. But um, in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at, uh, he has there titled, The Demonstration of His Superiority. And you could look at many other ways uh, that that is, is talked about. Really, it's the fact that Christ is superior, and we're going to come up with that theme throughout the book. He's better, he's better, he's better. And we'll look at that some more. And the book of Hebrews, um, and just to set by way of introduction, it begins with God, who at various times and in various ways, or in sundry times and in diverse manners in the Old English, I like that, because it kind of speaks to us how the Bible came to us and how the Word of God, the revelation of God, came. And we are going to look at that because when you get to chapter 4, it talks about the Word of God, which is is quick, it's living, it's powerful. It's able to divide right to the very marrow, right? Right to the very soul of someone. And that's what's unique about the Bible because it is a book that God gave us. And that is something that is central to uh, our faith, obviously, because we hold to the Word of God being the absolute authority over us in these things and i'm thankful we have the bible and it came to us in various ways and it came to the hebrew people specifically the writer here is writing to the hebrew people we find out that they some of them were in danger of going back into the things of the old of the old covenant the old testament and they were neglecting the reality of what god had given them in his person and the book of hebrews is about a person and about a relationship with that person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who did the writing of this. And that is important because you'll find in your Bible, some will have the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, but you won't find Paul's name attached to this letter. I personally think, and most would also think, that Paul probably wrote it. It's very Pauline in its ways. And it is obviously written by somebody who had a background with the Hebrew people, Paul would ma- match that criteria. There's other theories and all that, and it, it doesn't really matter. Because ultimately, it's God who's doing the speaking, and that's what is in focus. And so people get all concerned and probably write volumes of theology books on trying to figure out who wrote the book of Hebrews. And, and it says it right there, God. God wrote it. And so as we look at this, we kind of keep that in mind. And again, he begins by saying in various times in various ways, and that's true. We get the Bible today, what we have in front of us here, the scripture, or as we present it up here on the wall behind me, the written word of God. We, we have gotten that from uh, various ways over time, right? You go back to the Old Testament, there were many different ways God spoke to people. Sometimes he directly spoke to them. And told people to write, like Moses, he was told to write. And there were others that received visions and dreams. And there were others that received the word of God from prophets who were told what to say. And they received the word of God and would herald that message out and do that. Uh, And that continued all the way through to the end of the book, which is the book of Revelation. And there were various ways in which God did that in various times. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years, give or take, and it was written on three different continents by some 
somewhere around, around 40 different human authors, okay, that have their names attached to this. However, it all points to one central person who spans time and geography and languages and everything else, and it points to Jesus Christ, who is better. The people in the Old Testament looked ahead by faith to the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. Today, we look back by faith. And the Bible is a book that is uh, to be received by faith. We have to believe that God is, if we are going to believe in him. And that's all part of that, and the Bible reveals that to us. And I would say this, and as we come later on to chapter 6, and other portions of this, you'll see there were people in danger having heard the word of God and having handled it and having it illuminated to them by the Holy Spirit, were in danger of turning away from those things and in danger of no way to repent and come back to the knowledge of the truth. Apostasy is one way, or the fact that somebody says, no, I won't do that. And I will look at that text as we get to it. And it's as that backdrop that there are people who would rather cling to the old traditions of man. And we're good at those, aren't we? We all have our little traditions. Some aren't bad, you know. We get together at Christmas and we have our candlelight service and that's always good. But that's sort of traditional. It's not something we're told to do in scripture. But we're told to gather together. And I'm thankful God allows us to do many things. And there were certain things in the Old Testament especially that, that God told his people to do. And there were patterns of things to come. And we learn of that here in the book of Hebrews. The shadows of a greater. And as I think about that, the substance is always better than the shadow, isn't it? I suppose if I was home and this time of year, you know, the sun doesn't come up above the horizon very much. And if you're out there on a sunny day... Um, at noontime you have a long shadow right and it gets a little longer but not much longer throughout the day and then it's gone and we have you know a little bit of light here in the winter months but I suppose that my wife who loves me dearly right yeah there we go my wife who loves me dearly if she was out you know maybe standing there in the kitchen looking out the window or whatever and I was walking in the backyard and it's possible that at the right angle she might just see my shadow coming Now, would you rather have my shadow or the real deal? That wasn't a real definitive. I just, okay. Let me do it another way. Would you rather have like some old dog bone or would you have a T-bone steak fresh off the cut, right? Yeah. You want the real thing, don't you? And you know, that's what this book promises is as it promises the Christ, who is the substance. He's the real thing. Everything else was a shadow of a greater to come. And people saw glimpses of that shadow, but they didn't know exactly what it would be like or how he would come into this world or how he would walk, who he would heal, and the very specific things that today we have in the written word of God. I'm thankful that God has revealed those things to us. And I think it's important as we look at that. You know... He is the superior Savior. If you simply Google the ten greatest people that ever lived, most of the lists will have Jesus Christ somewhere on that list. Many of them have it as number one because he is the one who is most influential if you look at that. Now there are some that don't have him at all. I mentioned years ago when we first got electronic encyclopedias and I remember, um, was it 
uh, what was Microsoft's Encarta or something like that? They had they had a, you came with a disc, and all of a sudden you had the full encyclopedia on a disc, and all those encyclopedia salesmen were out of business just like that. And there was a I looked at that, I opened it up on a, a computer, and I looked, and there was a timeline of major events of the world, and I th- and you could print it, and I said I'm going to print that, you know, and I printed it, and it began to print the old dot matrix printer. Bzz, 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 and I went through like a ream of paper and I could have stretched that paper you know as it was connected from the pulpit here all the way to the back of the classroom actually I printed it and stretched it out and I even printed it and stretched it out in a church service um, at O'Lemon and I remember that whole row of of the center aisle being taken up by that thing and it began with ancient history and key events in ancient ancient written history and you know, some Chinese dynasty or this or that, and it went down through all the events, and then it came to, like, Alexander the Great, and, and it came to events around the Roman time, and the, you know, Caesar Augustus, and then it gets into places where, like, it talked about Herod, and then it went further, and it went, and it missed out entirely on even the dating of that. It didn't have anything on the birth of Christ. And I thought, wow, how shameful. And I don't think it was purposefully, I, don't, I do think it was purposely, you know, an oversight. I think people purposely said, we don't want to put that in there. But I can't imagine that the most important person that's ever walked our earth would be left off on a list. I went with Apple after that. How about that? No. Just <laughs> no. Uh, but, but I say because um, all I'm getting at is that sometimes we don't want to, even deal with the one who's the most important. And by the way, he shouldn't even be ranked. It's not even a question. The writer goes on and he says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And you notice there it's in past tense, perfect past tense, spoken in a completed action. He He has spoken and there's no more revelation necessary, no more revelation that will be given. It's found completed in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. There are people out there today seeking new revelation that, that they want to find and they want to find you know, something new and, new and they are neglecting the one who has been spoken to us. I think about that. You know, if the difference between who Jesus is and and what we think is important is like night and day. Uh, it, it, it's similar to this. Like you ever have a, a little lighter in your hand or a match or something and you're in a dark room and you flick your bick, right? You know, nope, oh, they got light. And, and you, you walk around the room and all that and you get enough light usually in the dark room. Now, there's that kind of light. And then I suppose when they used to do atomic weapons testing above ground, you have things like this, which is an atomic blast. A lot more light involved in that. And I can only compare the reality, and this falls far short, compare the reality of who Jesus really is and the message God has given to that of what we think is important, the big lighter, and what God is like. It's like the atomic explosion, you know? whole different category of light. Yeah, Moses saw God and the the hinder parts the, you know, of God as he passed by. Moses thought he was a dead man because he looked upon the glory of God with mortal eyes. 
Someday we will see the glory of God, but it will only be for those who are redeemed in his presence and are given new eyes. That's in heaven. We can now see the glory of God veiled in Christ, the person of God. And that's what the Bible says. It says that he tabernacled with us, right? The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his what? Glory. His glory. Important that we look at those things. By the way, you can't take out Christ and still have Christianity. You can't. You, you, I suppose you could do that with other world religions. You could take their founder out and you'd still have the system. You still would. But you'll not have Christianity without Christ. And I do believe central to everything we do and how we live, and what we study, and how we preach, and share, and all that. Our message needs to be Christ-focused and Christ-centric in those things. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And I'm glad. And by the way, He spoke once for all. And that's, we in the Wednesday night service, we're going through the book of Jude. And we're just doing it word by word. And we're taking words and we're studying those words out. Last week we were in this uh, verse 3 where it says, Contend earnestly for the faith. And the word contend earnestly means to, to, uh, to fight for in a way like through a debate or in a way that you win. And it's something to fight for, the faith. But look what it says after that. Which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude believed early on, as this is an early writing of the New Testament, he believed fully that the revelation of God had come. And the faith in which we call the faith, and all that it encompasses, had been once delivered. It doesn't need to be delivered differently or over and over again. It's central to those things. And yet, we are free agents to exercise our faith in many different ways, and under that umbrella of what God has given in his will in those things christianity and i quote adrian rogers on this one christianity is not a code not a cause not a creed not a church but christ (laughs) his voice is much deeper or was he's with the lord now christianity is not just believing something it is receiving someone know that that's what Jesus is. And we talked about the glory of God. And it goes on to say in Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory. <clears throat> See. The very glory of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. His son. The word brightness there. It means. Uh, it's the word effulgence. Or the fullness of his glory. The fullness of his glory. When Jesus walked on this earth. And people looked at Jesus face to face with him. They were looking at the very God of the universe, the creator of all things. And he was the one they were looking at. And the glory of God was in him fully. Now he gave up the use of his perfections as God to the will of the Father. That's why he could say, not my will be done, but your will. And he did that, and he allowed himself to be put into the hands of angry sinners, all of us, and to be crucified for us. But he's God. Make sure you know that. Because this book, the book of Hebrews, 
presents Jesus Christ not just as a prophet, not just as a, as a teacher, not as some angel that came down and manifest himself as a man, but God. And it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That's the express image and the glory of God. We look at that and we see that. Central to Christianity is Christ. I think of that because if you take Christ out, you lose everything. <laughs> and if you take Christ out of, of this you know, Christianity, it becomes nothing more than some clubhouse or a religion. And there's no hope whatsoever. I think of that in our, um, when we lived overseas. And I bet Vinny and Karen know this too. When you were in, the, um, uh, in Ukraine, and I was in, or we were in Ukraine, you were in Russia, and and Victor and Zena, who lived there as well, would know a lot of apartments and these high-rise apartments made out of concrete. And I don't know if you ever tried to, my experience, but I went to hang a picture in a wall one time, and I had hung a couple pictures, and you just drill a little hole in the concrete inside and, and you know, stick a little hanging nail in there, and you, you're good. And then I went to drill a hole in one of the walls, and, and I just I broke my bit, and then I burned up the next bit, and I'm like, what is on with this? And I asked one of my Ukrainian friends, I said, what, what is, why is this wall like that and these aren't? And he said, that's the supporting wall. Oh, probably shouldn't be drilling holes in my supporting wall then. Compare, and considering there were still about 10 floors above me, and I was about like, I think, third or fourth floor we were on, and I thought, you know, if you remove that wall... This whole thing comes down. And that's why it's made out of really hard concrete. And I'm glad because I learned a lesson there. And I don't, I, I, I'm glad. I don't know how many people actually punch holes in those. But I'm, I always wondered about that. Because I always, I'd hear drilling and hammering and all kinds of stuff going on. And I think I hope that's not the supporting wall. Listen. Christ is the central pillar to it all. It would collapse like a house of cards if you removed him. We see some things about Jesus here, and I already uh, used that outline, the demonstration of his superiority. And I'm going to look at some of that. The first thing is this, that we see Jesus expounds the mind of God. As we have already talked about, he, the very last communication that God has given us has come through the person of his son. If you want to know the mind of God, you'll find it in the person of Jesus Christ. You'll find it in him. We see that Jesus is God's word in finality, as I've already said. He's the last revelation, has spoken. He's the one who is the brightness of his glory. He's the fullness of God's revelation in that. And as I said, he's the focus of God's revelation as well. Matthew 11.27 says this, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so you know that when you want to know who the Father is, you look to the Son as well. And the same goes the other way. Jesus is the way. And the Bible makes that clear. John fourteen six says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was exclusive in his theology. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. And you will find that in him. Well, Jesus expounds the mind of God, but he also executes the will of God. Look what it goes on to say. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And then it goes on to say, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, he's the one who upholds all things. All things. That means he's the creator and he's the sustainer of these things. In John chapter 1 verse 3, there John says, All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. That pretty much, if you just took the logical definition of that in a philosophical sense, the only one that could do that would have to be outside of creation and that would be the creator. And the Bible expressly says he's creator. And yet, many don't understand that God the Son is the creator of all things. That one of Genesis, you know, the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, that one who created all things and spoke the worlds into existence is the same one who came to Bethlehem's manger. The same one. He's the same one who walked these dusty, lonely trails that we have. And he's the same one who would go to a cross and suffer there, as it says, by himself, He purged our sins. Think about that for a moment. Think of the power involved in that. How do you uphold all things? Think of that. That's amazing. (laughs) I mean, we have some powerful things in this world. Uh, You know, the old, uh, if you're old enough to remember, the Saturn V rockets that were used. And now they even have more powerful rockets But those rockets were used to really launch men to put them on the moon, all right? And of its day, the most powerful rockets that were ever built. And I was amazed at that. And I, of course, I've never seen one of these launch up close or even nearby. You wouldn't be up close to them anyways. But they say even miles away when those things would launch, the reverberation of the noise was just deafening. Some of you have. I can see. Absolutely amazing. And the TV doesn't do it justice or, or some film version of that. And if you understood that that rocket is about 36 stories high. It's not just a little firecracker. And you imagine being strapped on the top of that, by the way. Those guys were pretty brave or crazy. Uh, maybe a little bit of both, right, to do that. 36 stories. When it launched, it had seven and a half million pounds of thrust. Now you say, what's that? Picture stretching a whole railroad full of locomotive engines from Chicago to New York and having them all rev up at the same time. That's about seven and a half million pounds of thrust. So they tell me. I've never tried it. But you can kind of picture doing that. Wow. And yet you realize that, that our little star called the sun, you know, that we see every day, or we try to anyways, 
that just one little burst of a solar flare that might come off of that regularly has billions and billions of more energy than a Saturn V rocket or anything that this earth can even put together. And, and then compound that, our sun is one of billions of stars in billions of galaxies. The Bible says of the Lord that he knows the number of the stars and he calls them all by their name. He knows all of his creation. But even more than that, he's upholder of all things. That's power. That's a lot of power. Wow. He's also the one who is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. And when we look at this, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And it says, whom he has appointed heir of all things. You see, there's only one that has the rightful title deed to earth. And not just earth but everything. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to the book of Revelation, it's interesting when John sees this scroll that is sealed and this deed really for judgment of the earth, he weeps because there's no one worthy, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing below the earth that's worthy to open it. And the justice of a sin-cursed world is being is crying out for judgment. And then the the Lamb of God prevails and takes the scroll and unseals it. The Lamb is none other than the one who is the upholder of all things, the rightful owner of everything. That's what the word Lord means, by the way. It means master. And when it's used in the title, like when I think of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is his title. He's master of all things. He's God. He's our solitary Savior. And He's the only way to heaven, as I've mentioned. He took our sin and He met it head on in that way. By the way, Colossians also echoes that same thought as it says this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. You realize there's entire worlds we aren't even aware of in our visible world because they aren't visible, they're invisible. There's things, spiritual realms, that the Bible talks about. It gives very few details, actually, in comparison to probably what's there. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Again, he's the heir of all things. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In other words, he's God. Because only God could be before everything else. He is the creator in that. Oh, I'm thankful for those things. He goes on to say this, When he had by himself purged our sins. And that's to be understood that he is the one who did it. He's the, the, the member of the Trinity, the son who went to the cross. That's why he's been given a name above all names. Because he's the savior. It was him that willingly went and died for us at the cross. Suffering 
death. And I want, I want you to think about that for a moment in comparison to what we've been talking or in contrast to what we've been talking about. The creator of all things and the one who upholds all things humbled himself and became a man. And he bound himself to this flesh that we have in this world that we live in, which is a pretty sometimes hard, hard world, isn't it? It's not an easy world. You find that out early on when you stumble and fall and skin your knee or something like that, right? And you know, wow, things hurt. Or I remember the first time I ever picked up a bumblebee. I was just a little tyke. One of my earliest memories. Why? Because it was pain involved. I loved collecting bugs. And I remember I was a big patch of clover. We were at the house at Ripogenus Dam at the Warden House. And I was just a little guy, probably two or three. And I would have been three, I guess, when we moved there. And I looked out and I saw this bug that I had never seen before. It had these yellow stripes and it was, it was fuzzy. And I thought, wow, what a great bug. And I grabbed that thing and I felt pain like I never felt. And I went into the house wailing, thought I was dead. My mother told me, that's a bee. Don't touch those. She didn't have to tell me, don't touch them. I, I learned that really, really quickly. I learned that. We live in a world, you think Jesus ever got stung? Probably knows what it's like to be stung. He knows what it's like to step on a sharp rock or a piece of broken pottery or something like that. He knows what it's like to get tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be lonely and abandoned. He knows what it's like to lose someone close to him. And he knows what it's like to cry at someone's graveyard. Grave. And yet he looked beyond all that. And he went even further. And he, he went to the cross suffering for us. And dying for us. The sinless for the sinner. That's even greater than all the things that we're talking about. And that's why when he had by himself purged our sins, and when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken of God. That very moment he became sin for us. He was purging our sins, paying the price for your sin and my sin, and he was alone in it. But it was enough. It was enough. And then it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Are you glad? See, one of the things that the Hebrew people had at that time is they had still the the priesthood that was functioning, the Levitical priesthood. And they still had a temple. Although the writer says later on in this that those things were soon to vanish away. And that's why I believe that the book of Hebrews was written before 70 A.D. Because in 70 A.D., a big thing happened in history. The Jews lost their temple. You see, up to that point, and we're talking about the temple that was built originally under under Solomon, and then later uh, Zerubbabel, and then greatly, vastly increased under Herod the Great and others. And Jesus comes to that temple... And remember, before he even comes down to in Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem. And one of the prophetic things that Jesus says is that one 
stone will be not left upon another. And he told them, this generation won't pass. They will see that happen. And that generation did. In 70 AD, the general, Roman general Titus came and he, he came against Jerusalem after a rebellion and he besieged it. And when they eventually took it, he told his men, don't destroy the temple or the, the things of the temple, which was gold and everything else. But either something happened or they didn't listen and the men in their fury went in and they set the temple on fire. The gold melted, all kinds of the golden artifacts that were there melted and it went down between the rocks and everything and the Romans took those rocks apart and scattered them to get the gold. Just as Jesus said. But it was a finishing of an era. Because after that point, until this day right now, there is no Levitical priest standing in a temple who is offering up sacrifices for his people. You see, there was one high priest who was better than those priests. Those priests had a lifespan. They died. Some of them were very wicked because we have accounts of them in the scriptures. Some of them were good and they were sincere in what they did. But none of the things they did could ever purge sin completely. None of those things could save. It was the aspect of faith and trust that saved people. And they were clinging to those very things, looking to ways to be saved in those things. And I do believe that God said enough is enough. And Jerusalem was ransacked and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So when this is being written, it's written before 70 AD. But the whole point is this, Jesus by himself sat down. One of the things you'll not find in the articles, go back to the Old Testament, the articles of furniture that were arranged in the temple and the the things that were there, like the Ark of the Covenant and the candelabra, you know, that was there, the the golden candlesticks, uh, the altars, the altar of incense, the altar where outside the holy place that animals were, were killed and their blood taken. Um, all of those things. There was no seating. There was no seats whatsoever. See, the priest's job was never done. It was never, ever done. Because his priesthood fell short. But there was one high priest who finished it all. Amen. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I believe those words were recorded for us in the very moment of that act when the Bible records one of the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. The last statement. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. See, when he died, it was complete. The payment of sin. And as you know, sin did not hold him. He is risen. He is seated now in the heavens. And he has a better position than the angels. He has a better position than the Old Testament priests. He had a better position than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Because he's better. Don't you forget that. May we cling to that. Next time as we meet, we'll look at the second part of that. The declaration of his superiority. Because there's a declaration that is made in this chapter. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful, grateful for your word and grateful, O God, for this writing that was given so many years ago 
that show us our perfect and blessed and superior Savior. Thank you, O God, for giving your Son for us, that we may be redeemed. And the price that that entailed, and the power that is behind that. And O God, we rest in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. John.